I said, how's it going? Good. There you go. All right. Hey, we're going to take communion, and um, we're going to do it in a way we haven't done it before. Yes. Traditions are being broken. All right. So grab onto the chair in front of you. You can make it through this. We, um, for many, many years, you guys know how we take it. Usually it's, it's by family. People come down, and then you'll see little huddles of people throughout. Um, and for the next few months, at least, we want to try taking it a different way. And we are going to, um, the elders, with the help of the um, ushers, are going to pass the elements. So you guys will stay seated. Okay? We'll pass the elements. You can take your little piece of bread. We have the gluten-free crackers if you need them. You can take your little grape juice. And then once it's passed through, then um, the elders will come back up. We will pray over it, and we will take it um, corporately. Um, one of the reasons, a couple reasons we're doing that is because, I mean, I got my family. They're awesome. I got four awesome kids, a beautiful wife, and I love taking communion with them. Um, but I have many brothers and sisters here. And um, communion, you know, isn't really, the focus with communion really isn't supposed to be on the family. It's really supposed to be on the body of Christ corporately. So we feel like this kind of emphasizes that. Also, at times, I think it can kind of make people that maybe are only a family of one kind of feel a little awkward when people are huddled and they're like, who do I huddle with, you know, myself? Um, so anyway, um, this kind of gives us an opportunity to take it together um, as the body of Christ. So I'm actually excited for us to do this. And um, so I'm going to have the other uh, elders come up and Dan Benson, and we are going to pass this out, and I'm sure we will figure out logistics as we go through this. Also, this will stain, okay? <laughs> so if you got little kids, I don't, if the bread falls on the ground, that's not a big deal, okay? We can dust it off. The grape juice will be a mess, okay? So help them with this one. We thank you for your sacrifice of your son for us, that um, it atones for our sins. It wipes them away. You say, as far as the east is from the west, God, so far have you removed our sin. We thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of um, coming before you corporately as a body um, to worship you, to fellowship with one another, that we can um, dine with you, so to speak, Lord. So thank you. Thank you for the bread which represents your son's body for the grape juice, which represents his blood. We love you so much. Thank you, God. Amen. Uh, by the way, the date for the barbecue that Justice was just talking about is two weeks from yesterday, May 20th. Saturday, May 20th. All right, stand with me, would you? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a gracious God, that you are a loving God, and that um, you came to earth to seek and to save us, and that we can have fellowship with you, and that it's pure and sweet, God. And we thank you for that. I pray that you'd open up our eyes to your word to let us see the truth that is there. It is marvelous, marvelous truth, God. So open our eyes to it. Um, on our own, uh, we are lost, and we are fallen, God, um, with you. 
We have the resurrection power that rests on us and works in us, Lord, to be able to be conformed to the image of your Son. So have your way with us in all things, in all areas, in all ways, and be glorified. Amen. All right, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to make a few points today um, regarding the gospel, regarding our responsibility with the gospel, and regarding um, our hope in presenting the gospel and in the gospel itself. And my first point is this. We need to share... The gospel. Amen? Amen. It is the gospel of truth. And I want us to notice here uh, what Paul says in verse 2. He says, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. So, the gospel minister, if we have ministries, then that means really we're all ministers. Okay. The gospel minister is faithful with the message. Listen, um, God's word is powerful enough on its own. It's powerful enough. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to twist it. We don't need to try to reshape it. We don't need to add sugar to it. Um, It has everything it needs is right here. And God will use his word exactly as he sees fit in our lives and in the lives of those that we share it with. The gospel is the gospel. And here's the thing. If we try to make it sweeter to the unbelieving world by changing it or watering it down, it's no longer the gospel. If you add to the gospel, it's not the gospel. If you take away from the gospel, it's not the gospel. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived the perfect life, the life that you couldn't live, that that I couldn't live, and then bore our sins on the cross. Unrighteous men, jealous men, greedy men, dragged him, flogged him, and then made him carry his own cross, and then crucified him. But that, if you read the scriptures, was actually God's plan. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't like Jesus was supposed to come and be the earthly Messiah that the Jews were hoping for. It was plan A all along. One of the children's 
um, storybooks that we just read in this past year um, is really good because um, it talks about basically the, the rescue plan from the very beginning of Genesis. It, it, it uses this term about the rescue plan, the rescue plan, the rescue. God had a rescue plan. He had a rescue plan. And it wasn't something that he came up with, oh, it's the New Testament and Jesus, I, and things are going wrong. What am I supposed to do? No, the rescue plan was from the very beginning. God had the plan. It was plan A, and it was for Jesus to give his life for you, for each one of you. And death couldn't hold him. Three days later, he was raised. Amen? Amen. So listen, the word can change us. And the word can change others. Think of Laura Dean's friend. She read the word and 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 read the word. And she got saved. Right? I'm going to talk about a, a doctor's appointment I had in a, in a little bit. Have any of you ever missed a doctor's appointment? Maybe you've missed once, but you don't miss too often. Why not? They still charge you. <laughs> they charge you whether you show up or not. Um, I'm, I'm guessing, though, if you have a surgery scheduled with your doctor, you're probably not going to forget that. Why? Because by the time you get to the point of needing to schedule some type of surgery, um, you've probably seen the doctor a few times. You've probably been dealing with whatever this ailment is or physical malady for some time. And so you've scheduled it. You've seen the doctor. It's on the calendar. They probably had to do some type of pre-op thing where they ask you all these questions on the phone. So it's kind of on your mind. Um, but here's the thing. Like, who in their right mind lets someone come up and cut them with a knife? You know? Seriously. I've been cut on a knife willingly on my shoulder, on my knee, on my finger. Like, what in the world? Like, who does that? Well, we do that if it's the only way to heal, right? We will go through pain in order to come out better on the other side. Listen, here's the thing with the Word of God. This is a very sharp knife. The Bible calls it a two-edged sword. And it, it will cut you. It will cut you if you let it. But it's a good surgery. God will heal you up. He will use his word to cut us. But listen, precious are the wounds of a friend. And this thing is your precious friend. All right? It is a faithful friend that you can rely on to speak truth to you every single time you open it. Okay. But to get our surgery, we have to meet with the great physician. Many, 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 many unbelievers have read this, and it's done nothing for them. And sadly, many, 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 many believers have read this, and it's not done much for them either at times. We have to be willing to let God, the great physician, work through his knife to do his work on our heart. We have to be willing to let him cut us, to do some good soul surgery on us. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people out there 
a lot of people. Not millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions, literally billions of people. Billions of people. See, the, the sad thing is we talk in trillions today, so billions are like, oh, that's not that big. No, it's pretty big. Billion, trillion is really unfathomable. Billion is pretty unfathomable when they start putting it into numbers that you can understand. But there's billions of people who don't know Jesus and will die in their sins and be separated from him for an eternity. They're dying, literally dying, but also dying on the inside. Listen, I remember laying in my bed at college with the room spinning because I had too much to drink. Right? The room is literally, not literally, but to me, literally spinning. <clears throat> but you know what? I thought to myself, I'm like, what in the world? Like, all I'm doing is trying to make it to the next Thursday night and then live for those weekends and then scrape by Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to do it all over again. So as the room is spinning, like, the th- thought crosses my mind, like, if this is all there is to life, like, this life ain't worth living. I was seeing the vanity of my lifestyle. And I believe there are many, many, many people out there that are seeing the vanity of their lifestyles. They're seeing the hopelessness of it. So we, we go out there and share. Why? Because people like me and people like you are out there dying on the inside. Here's the thing. Andrea shared uh, with two people yesterday... One of them, one of them uh, actually was a, she tried to give him a gospel, John. The person's like, I'm a born-again believer, man. Yeah, let's go. You keep doing that, girl. <laughs> Gave her like a high five and everything. <clears throat> and the other one rejected it. She's like, no, I'm not interested. And so I was thinking of that. Um, I've been handing them out. I've only been rejected a couple times. But I was thinking about that. Because I usually pray, I actually usually pray for those people, maybe even more. Um, I'm praying for, usually I keep a little list of the, if I can get their name or something, or I jot down, like, where I handed it to them, you know, kind of as a reminder, and, I, and I'm praying for those people. Um, but you know how many times over the years I've, I've talked with someone, someone comes up to me and, and is telling me about a situation and, and basically asking for my advice, and I'm like, here's what you need to do. Here's my counsel. You've come to me for counsel, here's my counsel. And you know how many times... Um, those people, either I can tell from their body language they don't like that counsel, or sometimes they're just like, eh, no thanks. But then they circle back with me days or weeks later and was like, you know what? You were right. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. But you were right. And, and my prayer for these people that aren't taking it and that are rejecting it is that they, they would have, we don't know what's going on inside of people. We just don't. And it's my prayer that when they're rejecting that, most people have some kind of, at least a vague notion that there is some type of higher being. And it's my hope and prayer that when, when these, you know, when our witnessing opportunities are just flat out rejected, that God uses that later, that day, that night, to, to speak to them. Like, that person came to you with truth, and you rejected it. And all of us who are kids, and we actually all are, some older than others, um, know how our parents have given us advice. And at the time, we've rejected it and then realized the wisdom and what they've told us later. Um, That's my hope and prayer for those people as they reject it.
that they would think, why, you know, it would just gnaw at their conscience. Why did I reject that? But here's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. I want you to see this in verse 1, plain as day. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We can't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up in our sharing, in our witnessing, in our evangelizing, whatever word you want to call it. I just want to make sure I cover all the bases there. Sharing, witnessing, evangelizing. Don't lose heart. Listen, God is working in a thousand different ways behind the scenes that you'll never know about this side of eternity. You just won't. So you don't know when you're giving that gospel track out, you're giving that, that gospel of John out, you don't know how God is going to use that. You pray that he does, you can't lose heart. Um, R.A. Torrey, which, uh, who wrote a number of good books on prayer and studying the Bible, um, has an article actually called The Use of Tracks. And I think it can be applied to the Gospel of John, too. But he makes a, a few points that I think are interesting, and I want to read them. Point number one, any person can do it. Right? Can you just stand somewhere and hand those out to people? Gideons are great at it, right? If you need, you need to learn, just go stand next to one of them. We cannot all preach. We cannot all conduct meetings. But we can all select useful tracts and hand them out to others. Of course, some of us can do it better than others. But even a blind man or an unintelligent man can do track work. It is a line of work in which every man, woman, and child can engage. Two, a track always sticks to the point. Did you hear that? A track always sticks to the point. I wish every worker did that. But how often we get to talking to someone and he is smart enough to get us off onto a sidetrack. I don't think he meant the pun, but I caught it. Sidetrack. <laughs> Three, a track never loses its temper. Perhaps you sometimes do. I have known Christian workers, even workers of experience, who would sometimes get all stirred up. But you cannot stir up a track. It always remains as calm as a June morning. I kind of like that, the June morning. Four, oftentimes people who are too proud to be talked with will read a track when no one is looking. There is many a man who would repulse you if you try to speak to him about his soul who will read a tract if you leave it on his table or in some other place where he comes upon it accidentally and that tract may be used for his salvation. Five, a tract stays by one's side. You talk to a man, he goes away, but the tract stays with him. And then he gives a, he gives a little story about it. And then six, tracts lead many to accept Christ. The author of one tract titled, What is it to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Received before his death upwards of 1,600 letters from people who had been led to Christ by reading it. So I believe God is using these. I believe it. And we can't lose heart. Whether we're handing these out, 
or a track. If you're going to hand out tracks, if you don't know what that is, it's basically like a gospel presentation. Sometimes they're kid-oriented ones. <clears throat> Sometimes um, they're ones that kind of maybe focus on like evolution and then take it into the gospel. Um, there's a lot of bad tracks out there. A lot of bad tracks. So if you're going to hand out tracks, make sure you've taken the time to actually read it um, and that it's legit and has a clear gospel presentation. Um, about, uh, it's probably been a month or so ago, I was sick. Actually, kind of like I am now. <laughs> this weather's killing me. Uh, I was sick, and <clears throat> it got to the point where I was, I tried, I hate going to the doctor. I don't know about you guys. I just hate going to the doctor, especially if it's just kind of a normal type of sickness. And so I tried to put it off, but it got to the point where I was, I was feeling horrible. I was cutting my classes that I was teaching short, and I was like, I got to go to the doctor. And so I call, and they're like, you know, the doctor's not available, but the nurse practitioner is. I'm like, can they prescribe medicine? <laughs> <laughs> Then I'm there. <clears throat> so I'm on my way, and I always keep a couple of these Gospel of John's on my car seat next to me just to remind me. I found if I keep them in the back, I don't always go in my back seat. It's like a constant reminder just basically to keep me Gospel-focused. So I keep a couple on my front seat normally. And um, so I'm going to my doctor, and I'm like, man, I, I just feel horrible. I'm like, Lord... Like, no gospel work today, okay? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sick. I got an excuse. Come on. And I felt like he was like, no, I want you to give one of these to the nurse practitioner. My, my regular doctor, he's awesome. Um, he's a believer. Love him. He's really good. He's been my doctor for like 15 years or something. But I'm like, I don't know the nurse practitioner, um, especially the one they mentioned. I didn't recognize her name. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be awkward, but I'll do it. Um, so she comes in and, and goes through her normal um, thing, and, and then I'm like, um, have you ever read the Gospel of John? And she's like, I haven't. And I'm like, well, I'd like to give you one. And she's like, this is so amazing. And I'm like, really? <laughs> she's like, you just, you just can't believe this. I'm like, well, I can. <laughs> um, and I'm like, look, this this is like, the Gospel of John, it's Jesus speaking his own words, and you can decide for yourself who Jesus is. Read this. And she's like, I- I'm going to do that. This, you just, you can't even imagine this. Is, it's like, she's like having her own little personal moment or something like that, you know? <clears throat> Obviously, God had been doing some stuff in her life, right? And brought me to the point where I'm just one of the, one of the pieces of the puzzle um, in the path to her salvation. So I'm like, look, just at least read the first three chapters. Right. I could see someone potentially flipping through this and be like, that's small print. You know? There's a lot of pages there. They're tricking me because this book looks readable. <laughs> but it's 20, 21 chapters, you know? So <clears throat> I'm like, you know, if I can just get people to read the first couple chapters, there's so much there. Like, even the first chapter, I think, would catch their attention. And so I'm like, read the first three chapters. I'm like, if you do that, I'm like, you we'll find out what Jesus' first miracle was. i got to you know, salt the horse a little bit, give her a reason to read it. And I'm like, and it's not a miracle that you would expect. And I'm not going to tell you. And she's like, don't tell me, don't tell me. I'm going to read it. <clears throat> so 
So anyway, um, I've been praying for my nurse practitioner, and um, the next time I go to my doctor, which I hope is not for a long time, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch base with my doctor, because he, he is a, he's a strong believer, um, and, and see if, if, there's, if he knows or if he can do some follow-up or whatever. So, um, you know, someone like that, I think sometimes we can think, oh, educated, master's degree, doctorate or whatever. No, everyone needs the gospel. So we can't lose heart. Um, we can't lose heart in our sharing, in our witnessing, in our evangelism, in our ministries, ministries we're doing here, ministries we might be involved with elsewhere. We can't lose heart with other people's ministries. Okay, it's easy for us to discount what other people are doing. And we always like to think that our ministry is the most important. Um, college, you know, every college professor thought his class was the most important. Um, people's ministry, people are doing ministry. The body is the body because ministry can happen over here. We can't all be involved in every single ministry. And God's doing an amazing work. So don't lose heart because it's God's ministry. Um, he is the one who's working, who's touching lives, who's touching hearts, and it's his spirit that works through all of it. Listen, God <clears throat> asks for faithfulness. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Okay. I'm not sure if he asks. He probably demands, you know, um, whatever word you want to use there. But the point is, he wants us to be faithful in all things. We uh, had an outreach on my dorm floor when I was in college. <laughs> I don't live on a dorm floor anymore. And we decided to use, like, pizza um, as our outreach. So we would try a new pizza each week, and that was kind of the, the hook to get people there. But they knew it was a Bible study, so they knew it's not like they knew what was going on. So um, we did that for, like, an entire semester. No fruit whatsoever at all. A lot of money spent, okay? Because guys can put it away, especially in college. But <clears throat> that next year, on that floor, a mini revival broke out. And the atheists across the hall got saved, uh, and a number of people got saved. And I would not have known that if, if my roommate at the time, Rob Myers, who has spoken here before, wouldn't have stayed on that floor um, to keep doing the work. So we stayed on the same floor for like, three years, is we wanted to build relationships with those people and have the gospel go forth, right? Um, he wants us to be faithful. We, we, we don't know how he might use what we say today, tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or next year. He wants us to be faithful, whether it's with the one talent, the three talents, or the five talents. Be faithful. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, who, in, the, in these verses, who is blinding unbelievers here? Who's blinding unbelievers? Satan, right? Satan's the one doing it. Verse 4, <clears throat> verse 3, excuse me. Even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world 
has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So the God of this world, it's not God blinding people. He's not holding people back from the very message that he wants them to hear and respond to. That's, that's misthinking. No. But what is veiled? The gospel, right? The gospel is veiled. Who is veiled at Satan? Who is it veiled to? Unbelievers. Guess what our job is? Unveil the gospel. Unveil it. You know, they like have some new construction project going and they have like a sheet over the little mini model or something, you know? And they're like, here's what it's going to look like. And everyone's like, wow. You know? But that's kind of how it should be with the gospel. I mean, it's veiled to them. They don't see it. They don't see it. And we, God wants us to be the unveilers. We're pulling the sheet off of what is veiled for them to see it. And there, many times, will be that, wow. If you're a believer here, you've had that. You've had that, wow, moment. Listen, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. We get rejected. That's, that's, that's not the battle. It's not the battle. It's not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, that's not the battle. And here's the thing. Satan will do everything he can, everything he can, to discourage you from sharing. He'll remind you of your own sin. He'll tell you it doesn't work. He'll tell you it, it works for others, but not for you. He'll discourage you with that. The gospel is mighty to save. And God does use it. And he uses us to deliver it. You know, I was, <clears throat> I was driving the other day and I was reflecting on my own salvation and, God, and how God had saved me. You ever do that? Well, you should if you don't. You know, my first semester of college, I was eating dinner by myself, like I normally did back then. <laughs> I was eating dinner by myself, um, and this young college lady comes up and asks if she could sit across from me and eat. I was like, yeah! <laughs> I didn't know her, but she wanted to sit across from me and eat. And we ended up becoming friends. I mean, it was just random. It was random. We ended up becoming friends. And... um she lived at the Christian campus house, um, right off of campus. And she'd invite me over for dinner, invite me to Bible studies, months and months and months. And she didn't give up. She didn't give up. Um, but guess what? As many of you know, she wasn't the reaper in my case. That was someone else's role. But she was the sower. And she sowed, and she sowed, and she sowed, and she sowed, and she sowed. And, and this is what she said to me um, after I got saved. I was talking to her one day, and she said, you know, each semester I, I ask the Lord for one person who I can, like, make, you know, like my project, so to speak, to reach out to them, to love them, to, to share Christ with them. I ask the Lord for one person. And she said, that semester you were that person. Now think about that for us. If we just ask the Lord for one person, Lord, give me one person at work that I can reach. You make it obvious who it's supposed to be. 
or give me one person in my class who I'm supposed to befriend and reach out to. Just one. Just one person. Don't you think God would answer that prayer? Don't you think if he's working a thousand ways behind the scenes, bringing me to be sick to a doctor to share with her, that he can certainly be working at your businesses, that he can certainly be working at your schools, and knowing, yes, I'm going to lead you to this person. I do. I do. And when we talk about a culture of evangelism, and I reflect on my own salvation, I could see the culture of evangelism at work around me. Uh, Rachel, my friend, that was her name, I mean, she's the one that befriended me. She invited me. Then I came around to the Christian campus house. The other believers were there, were warm and friendly and, and reaching out to me. Right? Then Lauren was there on a completely separate page. He was there to reach out when the opportunity was provided. He didn't even know all that other stuff was going on. Right? God was working behind the scenes, and Lauren didn't even know it. And Lauren's there to be the reaper. Okay? Then, then he brings me around to his friends, and, 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 and his friends, his believing friends at the Bible study are friendly and outgoing. So that there's the culture, right? There's the culture. And here's the thing, and you're not going to like this. You're not going to like it. But here's the thing. The key to the culture of evangelism is not just being willing to play a role. Okay? I think we're all willing to play certain roles. Uh, The key to the culture of evangelism is being willing to play every role. Every single role. We have to play each role repeatedly at various times on a regular basis in our Christian walk. So we need to be willing to regularly be the prayer warrior. That's praying for people close to us and praying and praying and praying and praying. And we need to be, as that evangelism book that we were going through in our life groups talks about, like the stealth evangelist, like outgoing, friendly people, willing to engage, looking for opportunities. We need to be willing to be the follow-up person. The person gets saved. What's the follow-up? The culture of evangelism includes discipleship. So we need to be willing to be the follow-up person. And we need to be willing to regularly be the faithful gospel sharer. We've got to be willing to be the person who opens our mouth and shares. You can't just choose one. Sorry. Scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture talks about the various things we do in our Christian walk. All are called to pray. Amen? All are called to witness. Amen? It's in the Great Commission. All are called to disciple. Amen? It's part of the Great Commission. And all are called to have our words seasoned with salt and to be gracious and hospitable to people that come into our midst. Listen, when God shines truth, hearts are enlightened. Look at verse 6. He said, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shines truth. Hearts are enlightened. He uses us. New hearts that God has given us. Not the hearts of stone, 
but hearts of flesh. Like Ezekiel, right? God breathes new life into those dry bones. God wants to use you for his spirit to breathe new life, resurrection life, into people around you. And you can't let master's degrees or doctorates or prestige or wealth or anything else, anything else, get in the way of you sharing. Don't let anything that those people might have be a stumbling block for you. I mean, think of Zacchaeus. Right? He's wealthy. That didn't stop God from reaching him. Think of one of the very 12, Matthew, the tax collector. Unrighteous as unrighteous gets, God saved him. Think of one of the other 12, Simon the Zealot. Right? Part of this super radical political party. God saves him. <clears throat> Here's the thing. God is mighty to save. The, the prayer that I had, my dad passed away about three years ago, and the prayer that I had, and I've only shared this with a couple people, but here was my prayer for my dad. Um, he was, I think he was 50, about 53, I'm pretty sure he was 53 when I got saved. He was 53 years old, okay? He died at the age of uh, 70, one. So, do the math, 18 years. My prayer for my dad, I had many conversations over those years, all right? Some good, some not so good. Many conversations. <clears throat> um, my prayer became from my dad that, you know, obviously God saved him, okay? But there was an addition to it, and my prayer was do whatever it takes. And I always said two things. Take his health and take his wealth if you have to in order to save him. And guess what? My dad had his first stroke about uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and totally disabled him. Had a second stroke a couple months later. He had to retire because of that. He just wasn't as sharp as he needed to be to be an attorney, of all things. And here we are in 2008... I'm not even sure if my dad was really saved at the time, but we're sitting here uh, in, this, in, in this nice office with his other attorneys. They, I mean, he was second in the law firm, and so we're sitting with all the other partners, and my dad's telling them, I'm, you know, I'm retiring. How do we wrap this up? You know, because, of course, there's contracts, <laughs> lawyers and all. Um, so how do we wrap this up? So as we kind of finished business, one of them said, hey, what are you going to do? with all the time that you have now. And he, and he said, without missing a beat, I'm going to read the Bible. I about fell out of my chair. You're going to read the Bible? Like, where'd that come from? And so, slowly but surely, God was working in his life. And I remember one Sunday, I usually have to come here early, and um, oftentimes my dad would come with me, and he'd sit over here in one of the front rows, and he didn't really have much to do. I'm like, you want a, a book from my library, Dad? And he'd always say, yeah. So one time, I mean, I always just grab ran, a random book, and I, and I grabbed him a book. And, um, and he ended up, he's like, afterwards, he's, he, he never had asked this. He's, can I take this, can we take this home? Yeah. And it was Saved Without a Doubt was the title. And that became like his, it was almost like his little devotional. Um, I mean, he read that 
um, from beginning to end. I'm, I'm convinced that's, that's how my dad got saved, was really reading that book, because my dad had a misunderstanding of the gospel and thought that works were crucial to it. And he could not understand. He understood in part somehow, you know, some way the work of Christ, but thought there has to be works. He just couldn't, un- really, you want to know what the issue was? He couldn't get his mind around grace. That God could forgive a murderer or an adulterer or someone who did something awful to whoever. He just was like, there's no way. Well, it, he didn't understand grace. <clears throat> so God really used that book um, to the point where my, my dad's like, hey, do you think I can get in a couple extra copies of these books? I'm like, yeah. So I bought him like four or five. And I mean, he, I mean, he was handing them out like we we're handing out the Gospel of John's. I mean, he would hand, hey, you need to read this book to his doctor, to his cab driver, to all sorts of people. Um, and here's the thing, you know, how much he read the word, especially the last year or two of his life, that puts most of us to shame. Um, he was always in the word, always had it open when I came downstairs, always had a question for me about the Bible, um, always, always, always in the word, and um, underlining, highlighting, that even goes too far for me, you know. I'm an underliner. But um, after he passed away, <clears throat> he had wanted a, uh, a journal for his, um, for his Christmas present. And that was just a couple months before he passed away. And so, I don't know if it's like right or not, but I was slipping through it. <laughs> and I noticed there was only like 10 or 15 entries. <clears throat> but I read the first entry, and it was December 25th. Okay, so about almost to the day, two months before he passed away, and he's talking, my parents were divorced, and my mom's name is Nancy. He says, Nancy hosted family dinner. She did a great job. Everyone had a great time, especially the grandkids. Michael and Melinda, my sister, were very helpful to me as I was still hobbled from my strokes. This was one of the best Christmases ever as I finally realized the significance of the day, Jesus' birthday. So it was very neat to come across that because I felt like the Lord confirmed, you know, the work that he had been doing for many, many years. And it was a work that took, you know, 15, 16 years of praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. Do not lose heart. Okay? Look, God is mighty to save. And um, if you're here and you're not sure if you know Jesus... If you're here and you know you don't, he's mighty to save you. And the offer goes to every single person. Every single person. And the offer is eternal life. And if you trust him, I like the word trust because I think it communicates best what the Bible's talking about. Trust. You have to trust Jesus with everything with all of it, your whole life. If you will trust him, put your trust in him, and realize, not just in your head, but in your heart, what he has done, that he died on the cross, not just for the world, but for you. Not just for your family, but for you. And if you will trust him, he'll wash away your sins. If you'll trust him, He'll give you new life. If you'll trust him, he will come in and do a work that only he can do. 
It's the resurrection power that Philippians 3 talks about, a power that only an omnipotent and all-powerful God can have, power to change. And he will come into your life and completely change you from the inside out. It's yours. It's available to you. I encourage you to do so today. It's an amazing thing. If we could have testimony after testimony after testimony here of what God has done in people's lives, just in this room. Okay? And Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it. What's the it? The gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. God uses that, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to lead people to him, to save souls. And he wants to save your soul today. Let's pray. Father, only you know the hearts of every single person here. You know our hearts. You know exactly where they're at right now. You know if we're one of yours or if we're not. And Lord, I ask right now, speak to those that don't yet know you. Show them, Lord, what you have done for them, how much you care for them, how much you love them, how you had a rescue plan for them in place before the beginning of the world, and that you're calling them today to trust in you and your son. And Lord, I ask that they would, they would trust you, give them the gift of faith, Let them seek after you, God, and grant them eternal life. We thank you that you're a good God. Anyone who comes to you, Lord, you don't turn away. You call all. You want all saved. So, Lord, do your work here. Use us, God. I pray against discouragement for every single member of Liberty. I pray, God, we would be faithful gospel sharers. That you would use us, the members here, to spread your word. You are faithful, God. You want us to be faithful. Let us be faithful with the message. Let us continue to preach it. Let us continue to get it out. Let us continue to create here a culture of evangelism where your word is going forth and and lives God, spiritual lives are being changed and lives are being transformed. We acknowledge this is only possible through your spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So let us remain in you, let us abide in you, and let us bear much fruit because of you. We love you, Lord. Amen.